This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. The Minnetonka Police Department's investigative unit described the relationship between the two as on again, off again at a press conference this morning. Mackey and Judd. He also said there's been a history of domestic incidents between the two. On 1500 ESPN. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. All right, Tom Pelissero is in here so he can uh, indulge us in our month of reckless Vikings quarterback speculation. We are, I believe, exactly one month away from the free agent window opening. It's March 14th and today's That is where it's scheduled. In the past couple of years, they've moved it up by like a week or five days or something like that. I have not heard any speculation that that's what's going to happen. But yes, March 14th and currently. The, the legal tampering window is a few days legal before that. Legal tampering window, I'm pulling it up here, begins the 12th. Yep. Right. So it's basically, it's like two and a half days of legal tampering or two days roughly. And the flirtatious text period would be going on all year round, I'm sure, with teams. Combine is two weeks away. The nice. Combine, uh, I'll be headed down there on the 27th, and that's where, that's still, if in fact Fragrance begins on March 14th, two weeks is still a pretty long time, where the closer that free agency is to the Combine, the more discussions that may not be uh, clearly admissible under the rules take place. Yeah, Because teams are always worried about, giving an offer to an agent too soon because you give him an, ag- an agent an offer two weeks in advance, well, guess what happens? He then just takes that around to everybody else and says, I got this offer on the table. Are you going to beat it? And the price goes up. Yeah, it's it's, and this is going to be because pretty rarely do even guys like Kirk Cousins get to free agency. I mean, Drew Brees is a free agent, but he's going back to New Orleans, and, and he's been pretty vocal about that. So you've got this carousel of like eight or nine teams, some that are looking to maybe draft a quarterback high up, some that are in that in that Kirk Cousins, and if not him, the consolation prize, Ben. And the Vikings are firmly in that mix. So let's start with, we already, we, we, we talked about Kirk Cousins. Let's start with Case Keenum for this segment. What is the word about his potential for sustained success in the way that he succeeded last year to where maybe he could be a top half of the league guy in some of the measurements if given the right infrastructure do the Vikings view him now differently than maybe they did three months ago? Do they view him as a guy they might spend $23 million as a, as a franchise take option now? What what do you make and what do the people you talk to make of Case Keenum? Well, they definitely view him differently than they did three months ago just because he continued to do it over the course of the season. And certainly by December, he was viewed differently than he might have been in October just because you had a longer stretch of him playing at a really high level. Now, he also did that under an offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, who's no longer there. They hired somebody, John DeFilippo, who we talked about earlier. 
certainly is viewed within the league as being really sharp and passionate and well-organized. He has a plan. He is going to be highly motivated because he sees this. I'm sure I've not specifically been told this, but I'm sure he sees this as you have one excellent year as the play caller. You're going to be firmly in the mix for head coaching jobs. There were people in the league who thought John Filippo was going to be a head coach this year. And he had a couple of interviews down in Arizona. He had an interview in, uh, in Chicago as well. He might've had one other one. I'm, I'm might be blanking off the top of my head, but point being, you have another good coach coming in, but it's still different, right? You had something pretty magical happening between Shermer, who did a really good job of keeping opponents off balance, play calling, mixing the run in the pass, utilizing his playmakers, adjusting the offense when you lost your quarterback after week one. And he had to figure out what does Case Keenum do well. One thing Keenum did well was get outside the pocket, extend plays. That was never going to be a strength for Bradford. Bradford's at his best in the pocket, throwing the football, he's really, really accurate when he has a clean pocket or when he's able to stand in there uh, and get the football out. You're always going to have questions, especially because there is, you know, there's more tape of Keenum not playing at as good of a level. Granted, he did that under some teams with a variety of offensive coordinators under Jeff Fisher with the Rams. That was not a really productive environment as we've seen for a lot of different quarterbacks. Yeah. Nick Foles, Jared Goff, others who have gone on to success elsewhere. Is Case Keenum suddenly viewed as a top five quarterback in the league? No, but there's a difference between being one of the top quarterbacks in the league and being paid like one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So one of the questions you have to ask yourself is if you cannot get a deal done before free agency, and it got to a point with Case Keenum last year where even if the Vikings had called him or his agent about doing an extension, they weren't going to do it. They wanted to get to free agency because they knew where the numbers potentially were going to go if Keenum kept that up over the course of the year. A franchise tag is $23 million. You tag him again, it's under 20% of that, so it's like 27-something. So you're talking about $51 million over two years. Case Keenum is in a different spot than Jimmy Garoppolo, but there are some corollaries here in that the 49ers looked at the Garoppolo situation. And certainly, I talked to people within the league, other cap guys, I asked agents, other people who know the market, what would you do? What do you think it's going to cost on Garoppolo? And the numbers I was getting in December were it's probably going to be 24 or $25 million a year. What you're talking about making Jimmy Garoppolo off six starts, I think eight going back to New England, you're going to make him one of the highest paid, three highest paid guys in the entire league. But that's where people thought the number would land, in part because the franchise tag is a driving force in setting the market, especially for quarterbacks. With a lot of positions, you hear guys get slapped with the franchise tag, right? That it holds them back. Le'Veon Bell has said he might retire if the Steelers franchise tag him again. With the quarterbacks, it actually can help them. And Kirk Cousins used the franchise tag to help himself with Washington. As soon as he got tagged for almost $20 million, he signed it immediately. Right, to your point, sorry to interrupt here, but... You know, on the franchise tag, it's not the it's it the name franchise or the label franchise is misleading because I think a lot of fans hear that and think, oh, it's you take the your best player and you apply a franchise tag and well, franchise tag for quarterback is more. We're not sure about marriage. Let's keep dating, but you have to pay top five money. You have to pay, you know, you have to pay a guy like he is a Drew Brees caliber player to and find out like, if you want to marry him. Right, and it's like that at a lot of positions. I mean, it's the same calculation for every single position the difference is the money yes is so much bigger it's a big difference between tagging Le'Veon Bell who you know plays out last season clearly wasn't happy about it his franchise tag number if I'm pulling it up here I just want to make sure that I get this accurate right? right now I believe it's more than that his tag last year was 
$12.12 million. So the Steelers offered Le'Veon Bell a deal last year, right before the franchise tag deadline. They thought that Le'Veon Bell had agreed to the deal. It was five-year deal worth over $12 million per year, so upwards of his tag number, with $30 million in the first two. Now, the Steelers don't guarantee stuff in year two. Every team has different structures they do, but that is still a huge deal. People in the league could not believe Bell turned it down. Yeah, where he you could blow your knee and never be the same guy. And look, I mean, look at Terrell Davis. Right. So, a running back, he's thinking, I want $25 million guaranteed. I want $30 million guaranteed to sign the deal. Quarterbacks, you're getting 20. You're getting 23 if you're Case Keenum getting tagged this year. Jimmy Garoppolo would have gotten 23 and then 27. It would have been $51 million over two. So when the 49ers are analyzing this, you're not analyzing it of, well, he hasn't done as much as Matthew Stafford. He's not as good of a quarterback as Aaron Rodgers. It needs to be there. No. Jimmy Garoppolo might have had more leverage than anybody in NFL history. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because it's supply and demand. I mean, it is. And it's more than that with the 49ers. They've made so many mistakes with head coaching hires and the quarterback position. They've lost so many games. They got a brand new stadium that people were not coming to as much. And you're in Silicon Valley where people are begging to give you money for corporate sponsorships and endorsement deals and everything else. Garoppolo is worth so much money to them. So what do they do? They sit back and they give him, I'm looking at his contract right here. He will make over the first two years. It's not all guaranteed, but he's a quarterback. So he's going to get the money. Almost $61 million over the first two years. So you said, and this is where a comparison I emailed you earlier today, it's almost like a baseball deal where sometimes teams will move quicker, right? Guy's got an arbitration year or two left. They'll give him the money now to buy up his first couple, two two years of free agency, right? You do the deal earlier, even though you don't have to pay him yet. You do the deal earlier because then you might actually get a value on the back end. Similar concept. There's no franchise tag in baseball, but... The 49ers did was they said, okay, it would cost us $51 million to tag him over two. And this is all part of the negotiation. Garoppolo's agents, Don Yee, Carter Chow, they've done these deals before. They represent Tom Brady and other guys. They, yeah. they knew what the market was. The 49ers paid, in essence, a $10 million premium. $10 million over what it would have cost them for 2018 and 2019. They paid $10 million over that to say, we don't want the headaches like Kirk Cousins. We don't want to have your leverage building. We don't want to get to that second tag, where now, guess what happens when you're on the second tag? That third tag is 144% of what you just made last year. We're not going to do that. We'll give you an extra $10 million on top of it. $61 million over two. Now look at Garoppolo's deal from there. He makes $25 million in 2020, $25 million in 2021, $25 million in 2022. At that point, the quarterback market will continue to have escalated because the cap is showing no Cousins signs is of slowing make down. More than that. All Stafford, these guys, yeah. So all of a sudden, those next three years, you've got him. He's certainly being well paid, but he's at a relatively you know, stomachable type of a deal. And also, the 49ers did something that the Vikings do, that other teams, the Bucks and Jaguars do. They did it as a roster bonus. What does that mean? When you do a roster bonus, everything hits the cap immediately. So if they cut Jimmy Garoppolo after two years, they owe him zero. So because they, they, they know he's going to play and be effective now, so they give, give him the money now, clear it or out. Or if right. he's bad, you you spent so, sixty one million dollars on the quarterback for two years, and then you are off scot free. There's no cap implications. There is nothing. So I guess my, he's my got a question. He, there's a renegotiation bonus. It's like it's a very small amount. But my question would be on this, and this and seven this, million dollars signing bonus, but that's not the bulk of the money. Sure, and this applies directly to the Vikings and, and Kirk Cousins discussions. 
if you look at a list and let's let's take Jimmy Garoppolo off because we just don't know enough about he's a special circumstance. If you look at a list of the highest paid quarterbacks, average annual value right now in the league, and you take away the Hall of Famers, so let's take away Drew Brees, let's take guys that you know. Guys that don't need necessarily a full allotment of weapons, and they'll still make it work. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. It's hard to build the rest of your roster when you're paying a non-top-tier quarterback that kind of money. Matthew Stafford. I mean, that team, it's, it's a nine and, it's an 8-8, and 9-7, and 10-16. and 16. Now, you could point and say, yeah, but organizationally, they don't know how to fill out the rest of the roster, this and that. Uh, Derek Carr with the Raiders, the rest of the roster defensively. that They allowed like seven yards per play a year ago defensively. And Carr had a bad year. Joe Flacco. He had a rough year. I mean, when you're paying Joe Flacco $22 million, it's hard to build the rest of your roster to win Super Bowls on a regular basis. They haven't won one since they paid him, and they haven't been in that conversation really since they paid him $22 million a year. But Andrew how many, Luck with the Colts. Okay, but how many quarterbacks make at least $20 million a year or $18 million a year? It's about half the starting like quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. And of the other half of the league, I, I'm going off the top of my head, but probably a quarter of them have rookies or young quarterbacks who are still on their rookie deal, mm-hmm. which are lower value types of contracts. Yeah, like Mitch Trubisky makes $7 million. Yeah. You absolutely have a window if you have a young quarterback where you have more resources. Look back to how the Seahawks won their couple of Super Bowls where they had the extra resources to spend on a Michael Bennett or a Cliff Averill, some of these veterans. They could bring in Jimmy Graham and make that trade because they weren't paying the quarterback yet. Now, all of a sudden, we're several more years down the line, and they're looking at it, and they've got a top-heavy type of roster at a time where Wilson, probably sooner than later, is going to be coming up on yet another contract. The game changes when you have to pay the quarterback, but a good chunk of the league is doing it. There are ways to get around it, especially because the cap continues to go up. I'd also add this. Relative to other positions, quarterback compensation has not gone up much. You see defensive ends now making $17, $18, 19000000 million a year. That market has exploded. For quarterbacks, we went from Joe Flacco, I think signed that $22 million a year deal in, he was coming off the Super Bowl, so I think it was 13. Yeah. It was about 2013. And three years later, the top paid quarterback was still right around $22 million. Yeah, he's, I believe Flacco got 20.2 or something like that, and then Rodgers was at 22. In other words, yeah. the quarterback market was crawling upwards. Now you have Stafford resetting at 27.5. Garoppolo gets up into a really high number. Guys are getting up up higher now, but for a long time it was kind of stagnant at a time that the cap was growing by $10 million a year. The cap has gone from $123 million to next year probably like $177 million in five years. Well, let me paint a scenario for you next. I do wonder if it... If it cripples you from having a chance to win the Super Bowl, if you decide to pay that much, let's talk more about it. Tom Pelissero. Reckless speculation. With no regard for human life. On Mackie and Judd. All right, listen up, pay attention. Mackie and Judd are back. Action. On 1500 ESPN. Reckless speculation. We're just, uh, Tom and I are just geeking out over quarterback salaries and how, I mean, it, it basically it comes down to, Half the quarter, half the starting quarterbacks in the league, or half the teams in the league, are going to pay twenty plus million dollars for a quarterback in 2018. And of that middle group, like Tyrod Taylor, Mike Glennon, probably get, they're in the fifteen million dollar. They're probably going to get cut. So you're going to have 16, 17 quarterbacks if you count Andy Dalton, who's who, and, and uh, Ryan Tannehill, close to twenty million. So that's that's plus over you have guys league. like Blake Bortles who's on the books for nineteen million next year, sure. and then you have all the young quarterbacks who you would think are going to get paid sooner and later on second contract. And so, like, even if you wanted to go to Case Keenum and say, "All right, listen, let's be reasonable here, Case. We like you, we don't love you, and we want to we want to keep trying this thing out." 
Uh, how about $12 million? He'd laugh at you. His agent would, too, because some team, Cardinals, Broncos, if not the Vikings, is going to want a quarterback to sit in that cockpit and maybe win 10 or 11 games and help a defense get to a Super Bowl, and that's going to be worth $20-plus million to a team. So let me paint the scenario, and you're, I think you're going to say no to this, but <laughs> based on what you think and what, and what you hear around the league, back to Bridgewater for a second. If the options are, man, Kirk Cousins wants to be the highest-paid quarterback in the league, and we think that's going to prevent us from re-signing some key defensive players that, that come up for contracts, maybe it prevents us from re-signing Stefan Diggs to a top contract, um, like it's kind of Kirk Cousins or you know lose a bunch of players, not into it. Case Keenum for twenty plus million, not into it. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't played in a couple of years, but you know what? Maybe he's willing to sign because nobody else has enough film on him to determine that he's worth more than five, six, seven, ten million dollars. If you could get Bridgewater back for under ten million dollars, maybe there's incentives. I don't know how they would build the contract. And justify it by saying he was very good in his first two years with a system that wasn't catered to him. It's the rare first-round quarterback drafted where you say, we're not going to cater the system. You're going to hand off to Adrian Peterson 320 times, and then Matt Asiata is going to be your lead running back when Peterson goes down. Now we're going to cater the system. You're going to have more weapons. Thielen wasn't even a factor last time Bridgewater took meaningful snaps in the NFL. And because... It's for a lot less money temporarily. You have a chance maybe to build a contract that's more team-friendly for you for just as much production. Could I make that case for the Vikings? Again, you're starting out by saying we're going to focus our plan around the unknown. The unknown being Teddy Bridgewater. That's a huge risk. Coming back from his injury. You would have to do that coupled with we're also going to draft the quarterback high. And if you're the Vikings, are you thinking that that's a wise investment? Ultimately, in the big picture, You want to pay a quarterback. You don't want to go along figuring out the cheap options or going from quarterback to quarterback. That's what the Vikings have done, Phil, for basically our entire lifetimes. If you go back to what is the longest period of stability that the Vikings had, you had Wade Wilson, Tommy Kramer. Yeah. Right. After that, brief Rich Gannon stint. You cycled through a bunch of quarterbacks through the Denny Green era. Randall Cunningham, Jeff George, Dante Culpepper had a decent run, had his by far best season in 2004, 2005, he rips up his knee, never the same again, done. Then you go into Tavares Jackson. Then you come into, that set the stage for Brett Favre. You go from Favre on to Christian Ponder to Teddy Bridgewater. You don't want to do this forever. You at some point, we can talk all we want about how hard it is if you pay the quarterback $22 million to build everything else. The salary cap next year is going to be probably somewhere around $175 to $180 million. $22 million a year for a really good quarterback. Yes, it's a 53-man roster. You've got a lot of different considerations. But it's what half the teams in the league do. And it's what a lot of the teams that win Super Bowls do. Now, the Eagles, they've been able to invest elsewhere. Because they got the young guy in Carson Wentz, and they just won it with a Nick Foles. When the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, they did it with Russell Wilson. When the Patriots have won two Super Bowls with Tom Brady, they've done it with a guy who doesn't need to make that much money anymore, so he takes less. That helps them. Tom Brady has the same average per year as Mike Glennon. Yeah, and that's but that's a huge that's a huge part of why they can sign a top cornerback in the free agent market, and why they can one more player. 
It's one or two more players. Right. Versus paying the bottom of the barrel type of a contract or paying somebody. There's really no middle tier. If you're a good quarterback, you make $20 million a year. Right? Mm-hmm. Outside of guys like Andy Dalton who signed that deal several years ago and are down around 16, there, there is no middle class. You either get paid or you're not good enough sure. to get paid. So every team has to to get there eventually, and teams want to get to the point they're paying the quarterback. The 49ers could not wait to pay Jimmy Garoppolo and the uncertainty and say, we're building everything around him. Of course that eats up some of your resources. The 49ers are more able to make that investment in part because – They've had a low cash spend and low cap for years. They had $100 million close to it in cap space. And so they have a little bit more flexibility than other teams. But there's this myth of cap space that everybody micro-focuses on. I can tell you right now, just based on my quick math looking in the system, the Vikings have like $55 million in cap space heading into next year, assuming a cap of $177 million. Jets have $73 million. Cleveland has $110 million. So you sit there and go, oh, well, the Browns then, they have, they get an overpay Cousins. You still need to get value out of the guy. You're not just going to give Kirk Cousins $50 million a year. Maybe they will. I don't see that happening. I mean, they could, strategically, they could front load something. But here's, here's the difference. No. Here's the difference. The myth of cap space is that in the old days, teams had to spend the cap space in the year that they had it, right? You would have all these dummy incentives the teams would throw in where the backup quarterback could block 10 punts. They'd negotiate that at the last second. If he blocks 10 punts, he gets a $15 million incentive. And then, of course, the guy fails, and then you roll over that cap space. Now, you can roll over all the cap space you want. You can roll it over into perpetuity. So everybody looks and goes, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, really smart by the 49ers. They ate up 40-odd million dollars of cap space in year one. It doesn't matter. You can add it all in year two. You're rolling everything over. That's where these teams have these massive numbers now is because they've ended up in a position where they spent lower cash because you only have to spend 89% of the cash over a four-year span. So you just keep rolling over the cap space, rolling over the cap space, and eventually you get to a spot like the Jaguars, as you brought up a couple of years ago. They got to a point where they had some young players, and they are like, we're going to go out. We're going to pay whatever it takes to get Malik Jackson. We're going to pay huge money for Calais Campbell. And they've put that thing together. You can't continue to do that in the long term. Eventually, you want to pay your own guys. That's what free agency is. It is supplementing for when you don't have your own guys to pay. So of the guys on the market right now, the only one that I would trust, if if, if it was, hey, you have to invest, let's say, at least three years of guaranteed money into one of these options on the market, Kirk Cousins is the only one. And again, it goes back to, are you willing to make him— And you're him- speaking about Cousins— Versus Bridgewater, Keenum, Keenum, Bridgewater, Bradford. I mean, Tyrod Taylor might hit the market, but but Kirk Cousins would still be. Will. He'd still be number one on the list, and and I and I would say this: if you could get Kirk Cousins, and also still be able to re-sign Stephon Diggs in a couple of years, because I don't think Cousins is the type of quarterback until he proves otherwise that you can just put anyone around him and he's going to thrive like a Tom Brady. Like you can bring in Rex Burkhead and uh, and Hogan and whoever you want. That's not who Kirk Cousins is. So for the record here, as I paint all these different scenarios, Kirk Cousins, at something that's not absurd, $30 million a year, where now you're resetting the bar again with the quarterback market. You're probably going to reset it. But if it's like 25, 27, if it's $25 million, I'm in on Kirk Cousins. If it's 30 and that prevents me from re-signing a Stephon Diggs in a couple years, I hesitate because I could go year to year like the Vikings have for 30 years and still make NFC Championship games. Which there's also different. Have. There's different ways you can structure it too. 
and the guarantees are a big part of it. What's the cash flow over the first three years? Is that cap number inflated because of what happens on the back end? Teams don't do that as much as they used to. The Vikings did that for a long time. That was part of their structure. The last year would be a bloated number. And guys like Jared Allen and Adrian Pierce actually played out those contracts because they were getting to a point where renegotiating really didn't make a lot of sense. The Vikings are really smart in terms of how they do their contracts in general Mm -hmm. because they do go year to year. People tend to forget. As smart as their cap management has been, when they had to make a trade for Sam Bradford and take on his salary a couple years ago, they were really tight. They got into an unusual position for themselves. That's kind of the rainy day fund that you're trying to save up, which is we need to have that flexibility. There's other teams year after year. I mean, Seattle, I know in recent years, they've had to restructure some stuff during the season, just have money to pay the extra guy on the practice squad because you're that tight against the cap. The Vikings now have bounced back from that because of some of the way some of the deals have gone. They're spending less money at the running back position now, although Latavius Murray's due like $5.75 million next year. They don't have a lot of candidates to be restructuring. They've done a lot of their highest-paid deals recently, meaning they've given those guys the money, and that cap hit is spread out over, you know, over time. You do have guys not just digs, but what do you do with Anthony Barr? You're going to want to re-sign Eric Kendricks in the, you know, in the near term. Trey Waynes has developed into a pretty good player. He's coming up toward a contract year, although they have the option on him as well. These are all just the, the moving parts. you got to fit them all together. But to say you're going to plan around something where you're never going to pay the quarterback $22 million, $25 million plus, it's just not realistic if you look around the league because if you don't pay that guy, somebody will. And if you think you're going to get away with stringing it along on the franchise tag, ask the Redskins how that's yeah, worked out. I think you have to be sure that it's a guy that can win you a Super Bowl. And Kirk Cousins is... Kirk Cousins is going to make a lot of money, and if all money is equal, Kirk Cousins, I mean, I'll, if, if everyone's going to make $20 million across the board, I'll take Kirk Cousins. But if it's if it's, if we're talking 25 to 30 for one guy or year to year on somebody else, let's pause this. Plenty more NFL speculation. Tom Pellicero hanging out with us. Reckless speculation. From NFL Network. Uh, we're going to block out basically noon to 1230 before Dewey comes in with a scoop. For more Vikings discussion, and uh, we'll maybe open up phone lines too. But Dave, what kind of questions are you going to throw at us when we come back? It is February 14th, so it'll be sports questions with a Valentine's Day theme for you boys. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You don't seem like a public menace to me. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Mackie and Judd, except Judd is vacationing for the next few days. So we've replaced him with two things. Today, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. And uh, secondly, the Juddbot 3000, which has a lot of thoughts about last night's wild victory, mind you. They won the game. Against the Rangers. Sure did. 3-2. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, so they they took a 3-0 lead, and then they wanted to rest their bodies for other games, and they, you know, gave up a couple goals. I don't know how Boudreaux does it. Honest to God. To have to watch that entire second period, you give up 19 shots. I honestly have no idea how he doesn't just kill the entire group. Here's the issue with this team. You're at home, against the Rangers, who are a bad team. You take a 3-0 lead. Which you should. Good for you. Now it's time to step on their throats. Not let them get back in the game like this bunch of dogs always does. Jabot 3000. Not not very happy about last night's result. Uh, Dave Harrigan, you got some questions for us? 
actual Judd also texting and responding to show emails about how disappointed yeah. he is. It's embarrassing. <laughs> God, you're on vacation. Let it go. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. F- first of all, are either of you guys Valentine's Day celebrators? Do you uh, care? Anti. Do the gals so care? We call it mid-February day just to go away from the, you know, I, it's it's such a like manufactured holiday. So we went to the little date night last night, a nice restaurant and Timberwolves game, little lower bowl action to watch James Harden and company. And, um, you know, go hang out with some family tonight. That's, that's nice. Tom? Yeah. Uh, went out for the early Valentine's Day on Monday. Oh. That's so- that's really the move, by the way. Don't don't actually go out on Valentine's Day. Oh God, no! You can't yeah, get a I reservation. You, you can't get a babysitter. Figure it out. We had to move it. We had to move it around a little bit because it was initially supposed to be last night, and then I got called away to cover the make my second trip to Indianapolis for a head coach press conference. This wow. one actually happened. Thanks, Josh McDaniels. Got a chance to spend some time with uh, Frank Reich <laughs> down there, but we made the last second switch. Luckily, had the uh, in law babysitters willing to. Screw up their own plans for our behalf and uh, went out to dinner on Monday night. Very nice. So that's the way to play it, yes. Now that knowledge will come in handy for question three. But question number one is about your sports Valentine, boys. Somebody over the last 365 days, either somebody or something or a sport itself or a concept in sports, something you've fallen head over heels in love with that you want to be your Valentine today. You know, I'll start this off. Is here. it okay if we both say two man luge? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you commit to actually perform two man luge yourselves. <laughs> well, as long as as long is as perform Tom's... really the term that we need to use. That's Absolutely really the verb there. You perform two man luge. As long as Tom's not wearing Judd's mesh shorts uh, while we do the two man luge, I think I. Get, I don't think it's any better it. with the spandex, the official suit. <laughs> Allow me to profess my love. For young Carl Anthony Towns Jr. Okay, we spent most of the first half hour ripping on Andrew Wiggins for a terrible performance last night. Carl Anthony Towns was brilliant once again. And on the season, he has, now we we brought up effective field goal percentage as the best measurement for how good are you offensively? Are you maximizing the shots that you're taking in a game where the clock limits you? You only have a certain amount of shots. If you're going to score 30 Try not to take 45 shots like Allen Iverson used to. Carl Anthony Towns, my basketball love, now has a better offensive efficiency rating than LeBron James does in 2017-18. That's right. You are smitten. Carl Anthony Towns, 20 points, 12 rebounds. He's blocking shots. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. That dude's shooting 43% from downtown. And he might be in the conversation before it's all said and done in 10 years from now. Best Timberwolf of all time. Maybe at some point over Kevin Garnett. He is my first basketball love. I'll actually, I'll stick with the Olympic theme. Adam Rippon. I've become a huge fan. Strictly not even watching the skating portion, but just watching the interviews. He's somebody who came out a while ago. I don't know the exact timing of it, but as gay, openly gay. In figure skating, which is certainly not uncommon, but not many people have come out and said that and had stories written about it. And he said something the other day along the lines, because he was asked about what is it like to be a, a gay Olympian, and he basically said it doesn't bleeping matter. That it's, I'm an Olympian who happens to be gay. The way that he's approached the entire thing, in terms of just taking the most reasonable approach to it, even though he's asked questions about it, and when Mike Tirico asked him in an interview the other night about it, 
it, it's a little, it feels almost as if it's forced in. I understand where it's a news story. It doesn't really fit the flow of the conversation, but the way that he's handled it, the way Adam Rippon has handled it, not to mention the fact that he had to come out publicly also and say that his butt is real. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> I've had to answer that question so many times. Yeah, I'm with We're you, breaking 100%. barriers, breaking down doors. I just, I like the guy. I think he's a, a very likable Olympian. You think you like figure skating? Terrell Lipinski and Johnny Weir don't just like figure skating. They f- Love it. That's the worst short program I've ever seen from Nathan Chen. <laughs> Figure skating. Yeah. 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 Toe loops. Kiss and cry. Yeah, hit the toe pick. Tassels. Triple lots. Lutz, that's good. Let's Can look. either of you tell the difference between a Lutz and a toe loop in any there's of that There's also stuff? like a, is it a sal, you have any idea cow? what they're talking about? One, there's one where you're And I think Johnny turning, Weir is really good with yeah, the analysis. I, like he actually explains why certain things and the rotation of the skates and all that. I still can't looking at it live go, oh, you. that's a, that's a sal cow. There's I have no a, idea. There's a sal cow, a Lutz, and, a, and an axle. I think and a toe one loop, of them. Toe loop. And loop, a yeah. toe loop. So there's four of them. Now, I picked this up from watching I, Tanya last Friday night. Which Was that ha- good? It's unbelievably good. Sarah's wanted to see that. If you haven't seen it, go see it. They do explain in the movie the difference between like a Lutz and an Axel, where one of them might be where you land on the same foot you jumped off of. That makes sense. But I don't know what the other two. There's, I uh, there's a difference between frontward and backward backward rotation, too, I know, among the jumps. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Can't tell the difference. I'm also perturbed, sorry. I don't want to stick too long on figure skating here, but it, it, does it not irritate anyone else now that we're live counting the technical scores and doing yes. the whole, oh, it's a, like somebody falls. You fall on your ass, you skid halfway across the ice, and they're like, ooh, that's a one-point deduction. But the technical score was like 43. Yeah, it's, it's so just super why, weird. Why wouldn't you just try to do, I'm going to do a quintuple Lutz every time. Oh, I fell, minus one, but, but I got 90 points. Johnny Weir it doesn't, was explaining. Like the, yes. the math does not add up to me. Johnny Weir was explaining last night that like this, uh, there was a doubles, uh, the you know the whatever is it doubles? What do you even call it? Uh, where there's just a man and a woman figure skating together. Well, doubles two, figure you skating. You got the pairs figure skating. Pairs That's figure where skating. you can so, throw and jump, or the ice dancing where you you do the fancy footwork. So pairs figure skating, and the woman goes up. I think it was the Canadian team or so, whatever it was. The woman goes up, <laughs> and she does a triple, and the guy goes up and realizes, uh oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna right. get to a third rotation. So he stopped it at two. So they get they get judged on a double because he missed one of them. And Johnny Weir said, "You're better off trying the triple and falling this on your ass. I mean. It's a better score than completing the double." They're like, Why? They're just How is that the sport? It's ridiculous. What other sport? Like I swung for the home run, I grounded out to short, but you he tried for it, yeah. a single, and so that's not worth as much. You keep running. How I got is, thrown at third base. It's a run. It makes no sense. My guy Adam Rippon lost the two guys who fell. Yes, it's the brownie he, he, points. How do you lose? It's gold stars. Guy who doesn't fall. The least ice on your pants. That should be worth worth some points. <laughs> it is odd. Yeah. It is All odd. right, I'm done. Move on. I'm going to ask the opposite question then that I did. Uh, someone, something, some concept you've fallen out of sports love with over the last 365 days. I mean, Tom just admitted that he fell out of love with uh, with figure skating. Fallen out of sports love, love with, with figure skating? I don't know that we could ever say I was in love. Once every four years, I'll, uh, I'll have a brief flight. Mm. Uh, go, oh. Go for basketball. <laughs> they played last night. We're two apparently. hours and 45 minutes into the show. <laughs> 244 to be exact. And this is the first mention 
of Rick Pitino's in team. In fact, in fact, here is the quote last night from Tom Izzo, just compl- like feeling horrible. So he gets done with his press conference in which Michigan State backed off the throttle to avoid beating the Gophers by 100. And, uh, and he said, hey, before I go, you guys in the Minnesota media, quote, not at Minnesota or Michigan State or Duke or Kentucky can you have three starters and your sixth man out and play well. Even Tom Izzo is uh, playing the sympathy card on behalf of Richard Pitino and the Gophers. So, like, that used to be appointment viewing every night three months ago, the Gopher basketball team, and I have fallen out of love. I would put that on the top of my list. I would say this from an NFL perspective. I have long... I would never say I was in love with the catch rule, which has been modified so many different times. But I was always on the side of the people who are saying they're confused do not understand the rule. Because for a long time, you can look at it. When Des Bryant, all right, the most famous catch-no-catch situation of all time. I was in the press box at Lambeau Field. The moment I saw the first replay, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, knowing the rules, I looked at it and I said, they're going to rule this no-catch. Because he's going to the ground, he never actually lands upright. Immediately, it was no catch. We can argue whether that should be how it's officiated, but all the people Des caught it. No. Based on the rule, he did not. We got to that point this season, and I think a lot of people, including the commissioner, got to the point this season where they looked at it and said, for instance, the Kelvin Benjamin play. I would. If you said, De Novo, just start from scratch, is this a catch? I'd go, yeah. And let's build the I'm rule. Pretty around, sure, and let's build I'm pretty the rule sure that's that. a catch. And somehow it was overturned to no catch. That reached that point where it became difficult. I fell out of love with my ability to defend the rule when I looked at a play and didn't just say, well, I think that should have stood. It was, no, I think that actually is a catch, and it was not. The adjustment you saw, and I know that there was controversy uh, in the Super Bowl on a couple of plays. The Zach Ertz touchdown is blatantly a touchdown. I don't think there's really any question mm-hmm. about it. He catches the ball upright, takes sure. two or three steps, dives and then in. dives. That's not the Jesse James play. That's not a, you're catching a wall going down, you stretch the ball. The Corey Cummins play, it's closer. The ball does adjust, but does he ever actually like bobble it and he loses it? They lean toward that as a catch. And I think that if we're looking at this realistically and not within the prism of the Kelvin Benjamin play, you'd say, yeah, that's a, that's a catch. It seemed like we swung back. It'll be very interesting to see, and Goodell has said this, that they want to look at this and have more reasonable interpretation. I do wonder on some level whether it almost might become more like a check swing in baseball where there is no rule, and you just say... What'd you think, Blue? It's your call. Was that a catch? And you leave it more. They've always avoided... The NFL and the competition committee avoid subjectivity. They want it to be objective. The problem is when you're coming up with these very objective lines in the super slow-mo replay era, you can see so many other things happening that you couldn't before uh, that it became very difficult. Yes. And after this, I've also got a funny story about Corey Clement from the Super Bowl. Okay. I can tell you that. So that will get to question three. A scoop of doogie here in about 45 minutes from now. Uh, first, you know how you can really spot a catch and what really helps you. It's the 4K resolution on these TCL TVs. It's America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's also one of the largest TV brands worldwide, third largest in the world to be exact. And what really separates TCL is the 4K Roku TV. We're talking excellent picture quality, sleek design, stunning resolution, and endless entertainment. You get, without any extra cords or external devices, with the built-in Roku, you get 4,000 streaming channels, a lot of sports options as well, and 450,000 movies and TV show episodes. And here's another great thing about TCL. 
So they are upping the game in terms of in-arena viewing experience with the TCL Theater Box at Target Center. Memphis Grizzlies in town on March 26th. If you want four tickets to see a game in the most coveted new offering in the world of premium seating, all you have to do is go to 1500ESPN.com and enter the keyword TCL. Mackie and Judd with Pelissero. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. From that day on, we was always together. Mackey and Judd. Like peas and carrots. On 1500 ESPN. All right, Dave's got a third question. Hey, real quick, finish telling your uh, your anecdote. We were talking about the catch rule and... Uh, Corey Clement yes. making that uh, big touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. So probably three hours before that, I'm standing on the field at the Super Bowl next to Ian Rappaport. We decide to walk down the sideline. I can't remember where we were going, but we were going to walk around the field and get to the other side. So Ian's got his head down, of course, looking at his phone and sending a text. All of a sudden, I'm walking behind him up the sideline. All of a sudden, an Eagles player comes, me to you, like two feet, full speed, running out of bounds, catches the ball right in front of Ian. We are this close. We are two seconds away from like a massive collision because the guy's clearly just going after the ball, doesn't see him, and we're basically on the field. We're and the ones who are out like, of place. For you and Ian Rappaport and these the, the big NFL reporters, if your smartphone goes down, it's like you're, I mean, you might as well break your leg. Oh, and that's that also and that would probably also have happened to Ian had there been a collision <laughs> Both there. would have happened. But so like, a while later, we're over talking to Puff Daddy of all people. Walk, walk back onto the field. It's, it's Diddy now, I believe. Diddy, Let's we were talking about right. that, what we were going with. I called him Sean when I said hello. I said Sean Tom. Did you? Yeah. Did he look back at you? He like, was, did, he was, was he okay smiling, wearing a fur coat. Looked good. Okay. Uh, Corey Clement comes over to apologize to Ian for nearly killing him and goes into a whole thing about, like, man, I'm so sorry I saw it. Because he was playing catch with one of his teammates and the ball got away from him. He's the one who <laughs> threw it. And this guy comes over and almost kills him. So apologize to Ian, then goes out and has one of the big surprise performances ever for a rookie in the Super Bowl. So the moral of that story, in danger Ian Rappaport. I, I think, See the dividends. I think you brought up another interesting conundrum, like a social conundrum. If you were to bump into P. Diddy or Diddy, uh huh, and Sean like it had a chance to you know introduce yourself, what would you? You chose Sean. I might have right. gone with Puff. I might have like blanked out and said Puff, and that would have been the end of the interaction. I was. I was Googling, trying to figure out what he goes by now, and I couldn't get <laughs> what do a straight I answer you? because I remembered that he had changed it again <laughs> recently. And I could not, uh, yeah, I could, I could not figure out uh, exactly what it was. Yeah. So I went with Sean, which I figure that's that's always right. I mean, that is his birth name, I guess. So I figured that was the was probably the safest uh, the safest way to go. He, he didn't correct you in any way, because if you go up to Sting and say, "Hey, Gordon," I think he corrects you. <laughs> yeah, be, be that's different because Sting's been Sting stuck with it for quite a while now. You go up to the Undertaker and say, "Hey, Mark," <laughs> uh, it's Taker. He choke slams. Sorry, you. sir. Sorry, 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 yeah. sorry, sorry. Uh, Dave has a third question. Valentine's related. We'll also get into a lot more NFL discussion. Back to Vikings and Doogie with a scoop around twelve thirty or so. Pelissero is in for Judd, and so is the Judd Bot three thousand two. Mackie and Judd in the TCL broadcast studios.